morning. Uh, welcome to our service again uh, this day. If you have your Bibles, please take them and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 11 is where we'll be to this morning, Luke 11, verses 1 through 13, as we look at this uh, uh, passage that, uh, on the subject of prayer. prayer. Luke 11, 1 to 13, and uh, I will... So let's read the whole text together. Uh, Thus reads the word of God. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock. And it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. Will he not give him a snake instead of a fish? Will he? Or if he is asked for an egg. He will not give him a scorpion. Will he? If you then being evil. Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this text as we see how Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. This morning we ask that uh, you would take this passage and through your spirit teach us how to pray. Help us to increase in our dependence upon you, help us to learn how to communicate with you so that we might draw closer to you, we might develop our relationship with you, that we would learn to express our our love for you and grow in our love for you more. Uh, Father, we thank you that uh, you've given us Jesus. We thank you that he is is truly our greatest delight and our our treasure. We pray that uh, even as we reflect upon how our Savior teaches us, that we would be grow, that we'd be more thankful for the, the gift of your Son and the wisdom and the truths that he's taught us in your word. And Father, we would pray that you would glorify yourself through this text. Teach us as a church how we may grow in prayer. And we just commit this to you, Lord. We pray that you would do your work of, of changing our lives just for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray. In almost every uh, premarital counseling material, if you've ever done some or gone through some or you've kind of bought a book yourself, 
you'll inevitably find in the book, in the material, a section on communication, right? Communication in marriage is very important. Uh, it's one of the keys to a successful marriage. And uh, a to the extent that a couple is committed to communicating regularly with one another in a biblical, God-honoring way, uh, to that extent, uh, that couple will experience uh, the blessings that God intends for marriage. A couple must and needs to learn uh, both to listen and to speak in a biblical manner in order that their relationship might grow. And uh, one of the, you know, I was just even reminded yesterday uh, as listening to someone uh, teach, and they said one of the greatest gifts or, that we can give to someone is the, and to show our love for them is, to, is the gift of listening. Uh, it's easy kind of just to hear people, you know, kind of hear and this, you know, about what we're doing, but to truly listen to someone and then to respond to them. Uh, that communication is it's really a, it's a gift. A lot of people go through life with really not being heard, not being uh, spoken with to, uh, uh, to have conversations with. And uh, there are a lot of people that uh, would be blessed by our communication with them. Anyways. As a sim in a very similar way, then, as Christians, we must learn and listen and to listen and speak to God in order that our relationship with him, uh, too, might grow stronger and become uh, a relationship that, uh, that is uh, closer and tighter so that we would reflect more of our love for him and that we would draw close to him and, uh, and, and learn to love him as well, uh, even more. Over the last two weeks, we have been examining uh, two of three fundamental activities of a disciple of Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a believer in Jesus Christ. We've looked at uh, the first, uh, two command first two fundamental activities. As an overflow of our love for God, we are first of all to uh, be those who love our neighbors as ourselves, right? We're to, uh, uh, to show our love for them. Secondly, we are to be listening to his word. Uh, and today we complete the, the the series, and we look at the communicate. We complete the series by observing that the third fundamental activity of every disciple of Jesus Christ is that we are to be praying to God. Today we come to a passage that teaches us what is known as the Lord's Prayer. I think uh, something that maybe you probably each of you, if you were, grew up in the church, you might have even memorized uh, this. Well, you probably memorized the the Matthew version instead, but this is the Luke uh, the parallel in Luke. And it's not unusual that when a preacher gets to this passage, we, um, the preacher slows down and kind of preaches each of these points uh, when, you know, uh, one per week. Uh, so we end up with a, like a six-week series on each element of the prayer. Of prayer. And, that, and that would be beneficial, I'm, I'm sure. In fact, I was, I was, I was uh, studying it, writing it down. I thought, man, I would really like to just take each of these and, and unpack it a little more. Uh, but uh, sadly, I, I won't be doing that this time. Uh, because I want to finish Luke before the Lord calls me home. Anyways, uh, so uh, although, so Lord willing, uh, maybe you can dig in a little deeper and think about some of the ramifications of these texts, uh, these prayers, and uh, as upon your life as well. But anyways, um, I hope that we can just glean the big picture, the, the benefit of a big picture view of this passage, and really as we look at how the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray that uh, the Lord would do the same, that the Lord would teach us to pray. And I think this is one of those uh, areas of our life. Uh, it's kind of like in marriage. Uh, I don't know. Um, um, 
if there's any couple out there that has perfect communication, please let me know. I wonder if I, can I attain that in this life? Uh, but it's something that we always, when we come to communication, at least with a, at least as a couple, myself and my relationship with my wife, I think, oh, I can always improve. I think the same, I feel the same way about prayer with God. It's like, uh, you know, you may pray, you may listen to him, but I think we can improve in our communication with God and our prayer with the Lord. So I hope this will encourage you. Well, in this passage, then, the Lord teaches us to pray. He teaches us to what to pray. He teaches us how to pray. He teaches us why to pray. And uh, may uh, it be a blessing to your, you and your prayer life. But then uh, just notice, uh, hopefully you'll just kind of notice, think about, too, that, just the, that this prayer is not just for us individually how to pray, but really this is a, the lessons of Jesus is this is how corporately we might pray as well. And uh, you can think about some of the ramifications of that. I'll, but I'll be focusing more on the individual application, but still keep in mind that this is really a, a reflection of our corporate prayer uh, life as well. As an outline for us today, we're going to look at simply three points. Uh, I learned yesterday at a conference that a good Presbyterian preacher has three points. So I must be a good Presbyterian preacher. Uh, anyways, uh, anyways, for those of you guys that heard, were there for that. Um, anyways, three lessons on prayer that the Lord, and, I, and I'm not Presbyterian, okay, that the Lord gives his disciples. Uh, and uh, let's take a look at these three points then. What does, how does the Lord uh, teach us to pray? Well, the first lesson that Jesus teaches concerns what to pray. What do we pray as followers of Christ? If we're going to be uh, called to, to pray throughout our life, well, what, things, what kind of things should we be praying to him? Um, are you like, uh, like that, that, uh, that, that little uh, elementary school kid who just uh, basically go to the Lord and just pray, oh, Lord, help me get an A? You know, is that, is that what things we would pray for? Oh, Lord, help me get that transformer toy. Oh, Lord, help me to, you know, help me just to, uh, uh, and later on, help me to find a girlfriend. You know, is those things, things that you would pray for? Well, um, not necessarily to say that those things are wrong. Uh, things that we, those things that we certainly could pray to God and talk to God about. But we'll find here that there are some, uh, some important uh, fundamental things that, we, uh, that Jesus would like us to pray about. And so this first lesson that Jesus teaches concerns what to pray. But taken as a whole, this, this is a model for prayer. And it teaches us, three, the first lesson is about dependence in prayer. It's about what to pray, but it teaches us this lesson about our dependence in prayer. Let's look at verse 1, please, with me. Verse 1, it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place. Again, Luke is uh, sort of vague on the details. It just tells us that he just, he's not concerned about the his, historical uh, uh, details, but upon the fact that this event took place. Uh, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, to, to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. We had already learned from Jesus and going through the gospel of Luke that Jesus was a man of prayer. Here's the son of God who really, you think about son of God, what does he need? And we think about prayer, we think about we go to the Lord for things we need. But here the son of God, uh, the second person of the Trinity. And he, we learned from him throughout Luke that he was a man of prayer. John, uh, Luke 5.16, Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Uh, he, in a sense, as son of God, he needed nothing but he desired prayer. He longed for prayer. He, he knew that it was an opportunity for him to fellowship with God. Luke often records Jesus praying, especially at significant moments throughout his life and ministry. He saw it at his, at his, uh, at his baptism, for instance. 
Uh, and when he chose the 12 and uh, when at the transfiguration, just major moments, he's always praying. Jesus' life was a model of communion with God. And, and we simply just are encouraged by his model for prayer throughout this book of, of Luke. If the Son of God devoted himself to pray, prayer, how much more ought we? Jesus' disciples saw his life and they watched Jesus. They, they knew that this was something he was devoted to do. And if this is something he was to do as his disciples, then, well, we should follow him. We want to follow his example. And so one particular disciple comes up to Jesus after this occasion when he was praying, and he asks Jesus to teach them to pray. Teach us. He's, maybe he's a representative. Maybe it's Peter. Who knows? Uh, but he says, teach us, all of us, to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Apparently, John the Baptist uh, had taught his disciples a particular model for prayer. And it became something that was known for John the, John the Baptist that somehow there was a particular type of prayer that they were known for, a particular kind of prayer. Maybe it was a specific even phrase in, um, in uh, Jewish culture. Many of the prayers that they would pray would be sometimes repetitions of, uh, of recant- recounting uh, scriptures back to the Lord, like the great Shema. And so they, they wanted to stand out where the Israelites might have stood out for the great Shema and John the Baptist, they, whatever they, their uh, their prayer stood out for. Well, they want the Jesus disciples also wanted to have a certain prayer that they could pray. Some, in a sense, the prayers of of uh, of his disciples would somehow reflect their identity. Uh, and how you pray reflects who you are. If you're a follower of Christ, it should somehow all of us as followers of Christ. Somehow, our prayers, some, in some way, should, in a sense, reflect the fact that we believe in Jesus Christ. Some, for instance, many of us will just, you know, uh, off the top of your head, will pray in the name of Jesus Christ, as opposed to in the name of John the Baptist or in the name of, of somebody else. We, we have a certain identifying uh, prayer, uh, prayer. And so Jesus, they're asking Jesus for a specific type of prayer, a model for them that they can focus on. What Jesus teaches provides a pattern for prayer then here that sets Jesus' disciples apart from all of their faiths, all of their religious practices. He teaches them a model for prayer that is, it really reflects the identity of those who are in Christ. And ultimately, all of this is a reflection of their dependence upon God. And there's two focuses that he, that he teaches in this prayer. There's a, first of all, there's a focus in Jesus' model prayer on, on God himself, upon the Lord. And there's something that he teaches them. And he says, teaches this in verse 2. He says, he says, and when you pray, say this. So this is, so this is the model prayer. And so a lot of times people will say, though we call this the Lord's Prayer, really it should be called the Disciples' Prayer. But uh, it's hard to uh, fight history 2,000 years or so. But it really is a Disciples' Prayer. Um, and, he says, and he taught them to pray this. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. <clears throat> Jesus begins by teaching his disciples, and this is the most unique aspect. Really, if you miss anything else, if you hear nothing else today, just hear this part. Jesus teaches his disciples to address God as Father, as Father. What is unique about the Christian prayer, about our identity in Christ, is that we know God, the creator of the universe, almighty one, the one who is in control of all things. We know him as Father. This word Father um, is, uh, is just 
is a very unique word. It stands out when Jesus teaches this. It would have surprised uh, his disciples. Whenever Jesus prayed, all throughout his, the Gospels, with the exception of one time uh, when he hung on the cross and cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus always addressed his prayers to the Father. He called God Father. And that is uh, expected, perhaps, considering that he is the Son of God, right? Maybe think, okay. But then he teaches his disciples, when you pray, call God your Father. The term is a is a is one that emphasizes a relationship, a relationship that we have. Um, sometimes this Aramaic term, uh, sometimes is the word term Abba. It's a term that children would call their dad. And so maybe when you were a little child, there was a term that you would call your dad. Maybe perhaps you call him father. Uh, but a lot of times, kids would call their their father, their dad, daddy. Uh, pop, papa, you know, whatever it is that uh, you you called your father. It was been as a little child that first term and and all the, the all that that conveys as is a child calling their father that term. That's what Abba kind of conveys. Um, it calling God Father reminds us that among all the things that we are that we are God's children. We, are, we have a special, special relationship. You know, it would be, I would be awed just simply be a, a slave in his kingdom, a servant in his kingdom, you know, a janitor in his kingdom. But God deems to adopt all of us and that we would be children in his kingdom. And so he, Jesus teaches us to remember this, acknowledge this when we pray that God is our Father. And as children, when we cry out, Daddy, Papa, Dada, Papa, what do, we, what do we convey by that term? It conveys all sorts of things. It conveys affection, first of all, right? Uh, it's usually a term of endearment, and it, it, definitely, convey, and it definitely conveys a, 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 a cry of an expression of dependence. It's a, someone who we look to uh, for help. And it's just as children cry out to their fathers. Just think about it, if uh, those of you that have little children, all the reasons that our children cry out to us. They cry out to us for our love, our wisdom at times. They'll cry, Daddy, come for our, for our knowledge, for our help. They'll cry out, Daddy, for our comfort and uh, for our provision and, and so much more. See, as children of God, we, in a similar way, cry out to God, our Heavenly Father, for all these things and more. Because he's our Abba, our Father. He's not just God, dear God. We certainly address him as that. But we cry to him. We call him dear Father, Heavenly Father. Calling him Abba is really the joyous reality of all those who are in Christ. This, is, this really stands out to me the most. It encourages my heart the most as I reflect upon this passage. As Romans 8, Romans 8.15 teaches us, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a, a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. 
What a great, great privilege. You know, God could have saved us, and he said, oh, saved us to be, as I said earlier, to just be his servants in his kingdom, right? He could have saved us and let us be like the angels, you know, his, his messengers. But God saved us, and then he adopted us. He, he, we who didn't belong in his family at all, uh, who didn't deserve to be in his family, but he brought us into his family. He calls us his children. And this is, our, this is our great privilege for those of us who are in Christ. So with a focus on God as Father, then we see the rest of this prayer. But that begins with this acknowledgement that he's our daddy, and we depend upon him. So in with that, then we focus in on this on, uh, two requests made of God. And the first prayer request is we pray that, that God's name be honored. God's name be honored. I really... Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I really so, like that translation in the, I think it's the uh, CSB translation, that your name be honored uh, and as, as holy. Uh, but we pray in, in our English, at least in the NAS, it says, hallowed be your name. Uh, but anyways, this idea of name, uh, God's name, uh, is really has this idea that uh, when we choose names, we think of what we hope for somebody, what, we, uh, what is our desire for someone. Uh, that we would see our children kind of rise up to be that, reflect in that name that we choose for them. Um, <clears throat> but God's name is, because he was not given the name by anybody else, God's name is a reflection of who he actually is. God's name refers to his, his character, his attributes. It refers to his essence, his nature as God. And when we say, hallowed be your name, hallowed be is this really, we don't use this term anymore. It's really pretty archaic. It's an old-fashioned word, an English word that means to treat us holy, to treat us holy. So I I like the idea to honor as holy, to honor his name. Our prayer then is that God's character and his nature would be treated as holy, would be revered. It's a prayer that, by the way, don't be like me when I was a little kid, when I memorized this for a long time ago. Hallowed be your name. I thought I was declaring that his name was holy, you know, like just acknowledging, praising God, like, oh, Lord, you're holy. But this, when we say be, hallowed be your name, it's, a, it's an imperative. It's a command. It's, it's like a, it's a declaration. Oh, let your name be honored is what it is. It's a prayer request of, of God. Say, God, let your name be honored by everyone everywhere. It's a prayer that God's character, God's, God's attributes would be treated and revered by all creation. Because why? Because he's worthy to be praised for his glory and his honor. It's really a, a prayer that everyone everywhere would treat God as holy and one deserving of reverential worship and loving obedience. Certainly, and this does begin with each of us. If we're going to pray that hallowed be your name, or we should make us even mindful that how do we honor God's name? Do we, our own in our own lives, honor God as holy? Do we treat him as holy? And certainly this is true for the church as a whole. As a whole. May, do we treat God as holy as a church? But this prayer request really is a prayer that God's name would be holy everywhere. Uh, the next prayer request is that his kingdom come. And... We've said much in our series through Luke about the future earthly reign of David's son upon the throne in Jerusalem, that kingdom that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to, to, through David. It would be a kingdom of peace 
on earth, a prosperity, kingdom of prosperity for Israel, where the messianic king would dwell in Jerusalem and sit on the throne, and where all the nations of the earth would flock there because they would seek the wisdom of God and the truths of God. This would be a kingdom of peace and prosperity. You know, most of us look to government for that. We hope our governments will give us peace, give us prosperity. But, you know, as, as good as some government forms of government are better than others, but ultimately all of them will fall short. All of them will disappoint because, well, behind every government, though it's instituted by God, ultimately every government falls short because of the sinfulness of men that sit and women that are sitting in those places of rule. But this coming kingdom is a perfect kingdom, a perfect government. And so it's very understandable for the Israelites to, to pray and look for this day. And so when we pray uh, really for the key, that his kingdom come, we're praying that, God, your plan, your plan of, of sending your king, your son, who will come and to rule on earth, uh, a, a kingdom of peace and prosperity for not only Israel, but for all the nations of the earth who will bow the knee to him. We, we pray that that kingdom would come. We are to pray for this kingdom. We are, pray to, we are to pray for this kingdom to come and so that God's rule over all the earth will come to pass. When his will is done, and, and it, is, it is a kingdom where his will will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Right now on, on earth, God's will is not done. Man continues to rebel and resist God's, God's authority. We, and we, we experience the, the consequences of that. We, we see what its effect upon the world. One day, every knee will bow. One day, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. No one will be able to oppose him. They will all follow God's, God's rule, and we'll find that mankind is blessed when we choose to follow God's laws, God's, God's rule. So when we pray these first two requests of God, that his name be hallowed, that his kingdom come, we're really praying that God be given the glory and honor that he deserves. We're praying that God will be glorified, that God will be magnified as he comes, as he fulfills his purposes, his plans uh, for mankind. Now, so we begin that with that compare with the focus on the big picture, and that's really helpful. Sometimes when we, we, we go to the Lord in prayer, it's usually because we got some issue in our lives, right? I mean, that's, I, at least that's when I tend to pray the most, okay? When I, when I have some need in my life, oh, oh, boy, oh, man, the kids are driving me crazy. I got to pray more. Oh, Lord, oh, man, um, big, uh, big Seahawks game. I mean, big uh, 49ers game this week. I got to pray more. Okay, <laughs> okay, you know, you get, my, you get the idea, right? It's usually something that we come to, but Jesus teaches us to, before you even think of bring up your own requests, focus on God. Remember, there's a big picture that in the end, his kingdom will come. In the end, his name will be gone. I'm worried about, well, I just had, I had a conference this past week, and you hear about the, the challenge of the, the sexual revolution, its impact and, uh, upon us, the, uh, the LGBTQ, kind of just the whole, uh, the challenge that comes from that, that segment of our, of our world. And so you can easily get discouraged because it seems like the, the tide is, uh, is, is in their favor. But when you remember that, God's name is going to be honored in this world one day. And everyone's going to bow the knee one day. And his kingdom is going to come one day. 
It really, even though I, I will still bring those requests before the Lord, but it gives me, just get the right perspective. It's because I, I know that ultimately he's the one in control. But there's a second focus of Jesus' model prayer, and that's a, it's a then a focus on us. Then it comes down to the needs that we have, the requests that we, we bring. And then Jesus teaches us in verse 3 and 4, uh, the, the continuation of our dependence prayer is a focus on our, our, ourselves. Give us each day our daily bread, verse 3, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive, ever, forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. There are three requests that are made here for ourselves that Jesus teaches us to pray. The first, and they all reflect a dependence upon God. But the first reflects a dependence upon God for our daily material needs. Our daily bread that we ask God to give us every day refers to one's daily food, daily sustenance. When we pray, we recognize that God is the source of, of all that we need to live. You know, all of us probably... Uh, most, most of us here probably work and have a job where we get paid by our employer so that we can go to the grocery store and then buy our food there, bring it home and turn on the oven or the microwave or the stove and, and just cook it and then enjoy that food. And though many of those things, in a sense, from a, even from, a, uh, from our own eyes, may seem like those things we do depend upon us, but we're not, we should never forget that God is the one who is in control of our lives. Who is to know that tomorrow I will be able to get up? Who is able to know that tomorrow I will have a job that I will go to? Who is to know that tomorrow I'll be able to go to, to that I'll be able to go to find a, a grocery store guarantee that there's going to be open and available to us? Who is to know that we can go home and these things we expect them to happen, but really we cannot guarantee that they will happen. God sovereignly gives us strength to work, jobs to do, stores to shop, food to purchase, and fuel to cook. And God does this every day by his grace, by his kindness to us, his common grace towards mankind. Every day, you and I depend on God to live so that we should, and so therefore we should recognize that in our prayers. It's one of the first things we teach our children to pray. We teach them to pray to give thanks for food. It's one of the easiest things to teach our children. And... Uh, but hopefully from there they learn that if I need God, if I give thanks to God every day for my food, for what I need to live, um, then I should give thanks. They eventually move from there to giving thanks to God for everything that I need for not just physical life but spiritual life. But that's the next two requests. They reflect the dependence upon God for our daily spiritual needs as well. The really two requests, the forgiveness of sins, and deliverance from temptation. They're kind of related. Because ultimately, our greatest need, spiritual need in our world uh, for life, is what hinders our spiritual life is sin, right? That's, 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 the, that's the thing that over, hangs over every human being. It's the curse of sin from Genesis 3. And all of us every, are cursed by it. We cannot help but sin because of our sin nature. And worse, before, when we sin against a holy God, that it causes us to really earn for ourselves his wrath, a, a judgment, a future judgment. They, he graciously withholds even now. But one day, there is a point for man once to die, and then comes judgment. When we die, will come that time of judgment. Our greatest struggle is against sin, 
And thankfully, Christ, that's why Christ came. Christ came and died, and he paid for the penalty of our sins. But nevertheless, the presence of sin remains in our lives until we leave this world, until we receive glorified bodies. And so, therefore, we sin. Uh, if we are probably honest with ourselves, we really thought about it, reflected upon ourselves. <laughs> we sin daily in our thought and deed. And that daily sin hinders our, our daily fellowship with God. And so we confess them to him. We ask for his relational forgiveness. You think, and just as when we sin against someone else, uh, another human being, it hinders our relationship with them. In the same way it hinders God. And so we need to ask, we, we need to ask God for forgiveness. And so that's why this prayer that we ask God, Lord, forgive us our sins. Forgive us our sins. And just as we have forgiven others. It must be said here that if we ourselves do not in love forgive, the, forgive others, those who sin against us, then we really ought not to expect that God will forgive us. You can't really go on. And it's not that God's only going to say, well, because you didn't forgive them, that's, I'm not going to forgive you. But it's because when, if you don't, are not a forgiving person, that reflects that you're not a loving person. And if you're not a person who's loving of others, that's willing to forgive people when they sin against you, then it reflects that you don't love others because ultimately you don't love God. You don't know love God. We must love God before we can love our neighbors as ourselves. And including that is the forgiveness of others. So you see, that's why if it's dangerous. If you're not a forgiving person, it really just is reflect, it's, it's a warning sign to you. It doesn't mean that you're guaranteed to say it, all right? I don't want to, I'm not saying that either. But it may be something that you need to submit to the Lord and ask God to help you uh, to, to learn to be gracious towards others, to reflect upon the gospel and how much God has forgiven you. Matthew 6, 14 15 is uh, just cross-reference. If you forgive others for their transgressions, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. But not only do we need God to forgive us, because we certainly do sin, and uh, we, um, we ask God for forgiveness, but we also need God's help to resist the temptation too. Not just we need God's help after we sin, we need God's help before we sin too, right? Uh, and we need God's help throughout the whole process of sin. And when you fall into sin, there are really two things that are necessary for us to fall into sin. Now, those two things I like to simply say are, uh, I usually say it's opportunity and desire. Uh, but if we put it more like biblical terms of James 1, it's really, it takes two things, temptation and it takes desire, which is sometimes translated lust, epithumia. But anyways, it takes temptation, the opportunity, uh, and temptations. By the way, do you know the difference between temptation and desire? This is not, not my notes, but just uh, temptation and, and lust. You guys know the difference? Temptation is external, those things outside of us. Things that are circumstances, opportunities, that there are opportunities where it would, uh, uh, to, to sin. But lust, desires, those are the internal things. And the combination of the two, when there's opportunity matched with my own sinful uh, desire, and there are good desires, by the way, and many, but many, and many sinful desires are good desires that are taken too far. And when those two opportunities come across, then uh, usually... Uh, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Uh, with, with it considers insults, uh, James. So you really, those are two things. So this prayer request is that, Lord, do not lead us into temptation. Do not lead us to fall into these, these uh, uh, 
these external circumstances, opportunities that would cause me to, that would tempt, that would tempt me and that would appeal to the lusts and desires of my heart that I would follow into those, those sins. We need God's gracious help daily to resist these temptations. And they come across sometimes the most, uh, and at times you don't expect. And usually if you don't expect them, that's when you fall. But as we grow in our Christian faith, we begin to learn and observe. And one of the things we grow in wisdom is that we learn to find out, oh, these are certain times, certain occasions, certain places, certain, uh, certain uh, circumstances that are most tempting to, for me to sin. And when you, when you can figure those out, then you start helping you to figure out, well, what can I, what can I, how can I prepare myself for those times? And it's just kind of part of the discipleship as, as followers of Christ. This is our, and so, but part of this process is our daily prayer. We need God's gracious help to resist those daily temptations, to not fall into them. And the praise God, we, we know from other, uh, from other also in Scripture that no temptation is, is so great that you cannot, uh, that God cannot deliver us from. He will always provide the way of escape for us. Because why? Because God's faithful. This is our daily prayer. A prayer that understands our relationship with our Father, uh, <clears throat> focusing on his honor and his kingdom, because that gives us that bigger picture, but then also then reflects it, reflected in our dependence upon him for our daily material as well as spiritual needs. This is what Jesus teaches us to pray. And so... Think about when we pray to God, what does your prayer life look like as a follower of Christ? Do you, first of all, begin, begin with this recognition that God's your father, someone you can cry out to in dependence? Or is he kind of, a lot of times when we start off praying, I think I know when I was a young Christian, I thought he was just this really transcendent, kind of really far away, holy, righteous king. And that he is, for sure. But those kind of people you, you will stand apart from, generally. You kind of, well, you know, uh, but a father is someone when you have troubles, you, you will run to. You'll run to because you need his help. You're in trouble. You're, you're, uh, you're hurting. And you will run to him because your father, but then, yeah, move on. Well, having given this, this uh, so we learn in this, uh, in this first point, uh, in this model for prayer, just uh, our dependence upon God in prayer. Having given a model for what to pray, Jesus then next teaches disciples how to pray. So he talks what to pray, then he teaches how to pray. And in this, uh, uh, we learn persistence in prayer, persistence in prayer. Jesus teaches this by means of a parable. This very interesting story here. It kind of involves essentially three friends, three friends. But uh, it should just be called the parable of three friends. But anyways. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, he answers and says, do not bother me. The door has already been shut. My children are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So this is kind of, it's almost, to, at least to me, it's very comedic. It's kind of funny. But it was a, it was a real serious situation for, for an Israelite in those days. This is often known as the parable of the importunate friend. The parable of importunate friend, not important friend, importunate friend, okay? But that's, a, that's a, even a term we don't tend to use too often. But the story does involve three friends, okay? The first friend is visited by his, uh, a friend, and we'll call him the second friend. And uh, when a friend comes visit you, culturally in that day, uh, hospitality was required. Someone who comes to your house, you need to 
you need to do certain things to show them how to give them tea, maybe give them some drink, give them food, uh, show them how to give them place, offer them a place to stay. And however, this first friend shockingly discovers that as when because his friend comes over, he's like, he's like, I need to give him food, I need to give him bread, but I don't have any. And so he's like, it's like, oh man, uh, it's like showing up to to preach and you don't have your Bible. Oh man, that's like, oh man, I, I'm embarrassed. I got to go get a Bible right now. You know, it's, 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 it's a it's a desperate thing situation. So this man, he. He feels this necessity to show hospitality to his friend who's come to visit him in the middle of the night uh, because he was traveling, obviously. They're traveling, and, and they, arrive just, they arrive when they arrive. And so he needs to give him bread. So he goes to a third friend, his neighbor, because he doesn't have bread. He goes to his third, his neighbor, and he knocks on the door. Joe, I need some bread. Uh, you know, Billy Bob came, and uh, I don't have any bread. I, I, uh, please give me some bread. And so, uh, apparently, uh, Joe wakes up, oh, man, you know, you know what time it is? Midnight. Uh, I, I can't give you any bread, man. And in those days, he says, they lived in one-room homes, one-room homes. So the whole family would basically be sleeping kind of in the same room. And for them together, they were probably all sleeping together close by. If he would get up to open, unlatch the door, I mean, there might be animals in that room in the house as well. It would just cause enough ruckus to create, wake up the children. That's the excuse at least the, the third friend gives. I, I don't want to wake up the kids. They're, they're in sleep already. They're asleep in bed already. And now, and I used to never get this, but now as a dad of young kids, oh, I get this completely. You don't know what I had to do to get these kids in bed. Uh, no, I ain't waking them up again because it would be all night before we, I go back to bed. Uh, anyways, um, at least uh, that's what I read into it from myself. It's, uh, so, uh, he doesn't want to get up, but Jesus points out that, no, that third friend is not going to get up because they're friends. Okay? He's not going to do it but for that, but simply the fact that because the guy keeps knocking, oh, come on. Oh, come on, Joe. I know, I know you got some extra bread the other day. I saw you making it. I saw it. It's, it's right there. I, I look through your window. Please, get your bread. Come on, help, help me out. My friend, Billy Bob is really hungry. He just can't. You know, if, hey, if I was, you would do it for me, right? And he's waking up. Of course, all the other neighbors are probably like, the lights are coming, or I mean, not lights coming, but they're, they're kind of waking up, being disturbed by this. Uh, and Jesus tells us that, yes, uh, uh, the, the friend won't open up because they're friends, but because the guy is persistent, he will open up the door and give him all that he needs, right? And this guy's like, here, just take all the bread. Just get, get a, uh, uh, hopefully they remain friends. Anyways. This word persistence is the key word here in this parable. Uh, this is the key idea. It's uh, the word, but it's an interesting word. It's, it's, those translated in our Bible as persistent, the word literally means shamelessness, shamelessness. Uh, it's something that someone who has, a, I guess we might say thick skin, thick skin. They're, they're a thick skin person. They're, they're not, they're just bold and, uh, <coughs> excuse me, there's a bold, insistent pleading that just borders on just Public embarrassment, and that's really what it is. And it's someone who's just so so like so uh, committed to do this that he's going to embarrass himself to do it. Because for this man, it would be a great embarrassment to have no bread uh, for one's guest. So the friend keeps just asking, he keeps knocking, and Jesus then exhorts his disciples in light of this parable. So I say to you, he says in verse nine and ten, "Ask and be given to you; seek and you will find; knock and be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds." To him who knocks, it will be open. 
Jesus makes these three commands, really just uh, three synonymous commands, ask, seek, knock. They're all present tense. So it's really, it's some, t- the, some of your footnotes will say, it sh- could be translated as, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. There's even a, a kind of a pro- progression of increasing intensity here in our prayers. Is our prayers reflective of this? Are you one who keeps on asking, keeps on seeking, keeps on knocking? Are you persistent in that, in prayer? That's, that's Jesus trying to convey, that's how we ought to pray. Pray with a persistency. You know, uh, when, <laughs> a lot of times uh, when we say we'll pray for someone, we'll say, oh, I'll pray for you. It's, that's like, oh, it, it's, it's like it's a victory when you remember, right? Because you know, that's what we say that. It's like, oh, man, I'll pray for you. And then, oh, man, I forgot. Next thing you see them, oh, man, sorry for you. I'll pray for you. Uh, but we think, oh, if I do it one time, it'll be good. But Jesus will teach us that we should be praying persistently, continually, uh, keep on praying until you see the request answered. The promise that Jesus makes here uh, is that those who persistently pray will, pray will have their prayers answered. God will answer our prayers as we are persistent in them. But sometimes, well, I must add that sometimes his answer will be no, right? If your kid keeps asking, as mentioned, you'll give them an answer, right? And sometimes it's no. Right? I'm going to answer you. No. Or don't ask again. But thankfully, God doesn't say don't ask again. He, he, will, he likes it. He encourages us to persistently pray. So he, and sometimes his answer will be no. But when he says no, you can be sure that he, will, he does so out of love. And you can be sure that he will give us something better. And I think there's probably all of you here that have been praying for things in your life. And I know... Uh, I know for sitting ourselves, we are, are one of those. Uh, it's it's painful when you're praying for things that for a, your whole life, or for at least seems like your whole life, and it just the answer doesn't seem to come. Uh, for ourselves, it was children, and for you, it may be uh, something else. Maybe some of you are going through a period of unemployment. You're looking, praying for a job. You don't have a job. You can't able to find a job. Some of you be praying for a significant other. Some of you are praying for maybe grandchildren. I don't know. Some of you are praying for uh, just to graduate from school. It just looks like this is going on forever and ever. And there's, there's always this, there's a temptation to be disappointed in God when the prayer, the answers don't seem to come right away. But, I, but know that God loves you. He's your father. He, he will always answer your prayers. He, he seeks what's best for you. And if the answer is no, you can trust him because he's your dad, that he's going to give you something that is good and better for you. I don't know what it will be, but he will give you that which is better, and you can trust in him as your father. So all of you that are praying through things, and it's aching you as you pray for these things, find encouragement to know that as you persist in prayer, God will answer, and he will answer with that which is good. Lastly, Jesus teaches his disciples why to pray, why to pray. And we ought to have expectance in prayer, expectance of prayer. Uh, verse 11 to 12, now suppose one of you fathers, Jesus comes back to this idea. He teaches us to begin with calling God Father. Then he comes, ends with this, this uh, another kind of a parable, a story, an illustration of fathers. Suppose that one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a, a snake instead, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, will, he will not give him a scorpion. And this is just really clear. It's just a, I think it's kind of funny again. Um, uh, but if you're a father and your, your son asks you basically for different types of food, for a fish or for an egg, are you going to give them something that's going to be hurtful to them, like a snake <laughs> instead of the fish, or a scorpion 
Now, this, that was in Jewish culture. We were laughing uh, in our pastoral meeting this past week. Like, you know, in some cultures, they might delight in a snake. I don't know. Uh, there might be something. And we've heard that scorpions, some scorpions are edible. But the point here, at least in this, is that you wouldn't get into something that could harm them. All right? Something that could harm them. Anyways. Um, so, but in, so if your kid is hungry, he asks you for food. You really would not give him. It's just obvious. You wouldn't give him something that would hurt him. Of course not, or her. No one in general, Jesus teaches us, not even evildoers, not even the you know, really bad people gives harmful things to their children. Even wicked people generally look out for their children and want to give them food when they ask for food. When your kid asks you for something as a parent, you really... You, many times you have to exercise a lot of self-control. You learn self-control, not to just give them whatever they ask. Because you just you kind of realize in your heart, out of love, you want to give them what they like because, uh, uh, because you know it makes them happy. I know if I, it's, it's something brings me delight when I can bring like a little dessert home to our kids. And I love this, this smile on the, the, you know, the excitement they have. You know, I'm sure all kids are like that. Probably. But I know boy, if I just give them cookies all the time, or uh, it would not be good for them. I don't think it would be good. And so there are times, so there's also the temptation to want to give that which is, parents, we just have a strong desire to give that which is good, that which, uh, that which they ask. Children ask us for things, expecting that you as a parent will give them that which is good. And so Jesus makes this point. Parents, you, you being evil, know what to give. If you, verse 13, if you then, being evil, that is being sinful, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And we might have expected that Jesus say, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? But surprisingly, he says, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What Jesus does here is he identifies the greatest gift that the Father could give any, anyone and that greatest gift that he could give is the Holy Spirit. If you're going to ask for good gifts from God the Father, good things from God the Father, ask for the Holy Spirit. That's the greatest gift you could have. The gift of the Holy Spirit is something that they didn't have in those days as we do now. But he was promised in Ezekiel 36, 26, 27, part of the new covenant kind of promises. More of I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. See, he promises Israel, I'm going to give you, you don't turn your heart of stone, your sinful, hardened heart. I'm going to give you a, a softened heart, a new heart, a, 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 a heart of flesh. And I will, how, and he's going to transform you. How? I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statue. And you'll be careful to observe my ordinances. Before, without the spirit, the Israelites were just caught in, in, in uh, they were dead in their trespasses and sins. And, but when God gave them, gives them, uh, them the spirit to, those, uh, as a, as a, to regenerate them, to bring, give them new life, enables them then to walk in God's, God's ways and God's statutes. This was a promise, and of course, this was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, when Jesus, when Jesus, uh, after Jesus' death and resurrection, fifty days after that, the God sent the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit came upon the saints in Jerusalem. They all manifested the gifts of the Spirit, and from that point on, the Spirit dwelled within men. Um, I was just thinking, I was talking to Cindy about the lesson that she was going to teach today. It's about the tabernacle, when the glory fills the tabernacle. 
the glory of God fills the tabernacle. That's a really cool thought, right? How amazing would that have been to see the glory? And then that glory dwelt the temple. But then how much more awesome it was when that glory of God came and dwelt in human flesh and we beheld him, we saw him. Right? That was cool. That's Jesus walking on earth. How much more awesome it is that that glory of God now dwells in each one of us in the presence of the Holy Spirit. The, pers- the third person of the Trinity dwells within each of us. That is, that is awesome. He is near in every one of our hearts. And God gives the Spirit freely to all of us. And our prayer is not that we, God would give us the Spirit now, but our prayer would be similar in that we would ask God to, to fill us with his Spirit to, so that we would, he would guide us, lead us, convict us, sanctify us, help us, teach us, and so on. We can ask God for many things, and you ought to ask God and talk to him about the things that, you, that, you're, that are on your heart. But the greatest thing, the best thing for our lives that God gives to each and every one of us we can ask for is his spirit to work in us. Whatever it is that we're wrestling with, the spirit will help us through that, will help us in it. God doesn't promise to give us everything we ask. But he give, promises to give us the best thing that he has to give. He's given us his son. How much, how can he not give us all good things? And he's given us the best thing of all, that is Holy Spirit. He will always give that which is good for us. We can expect that. And that's where we, we can come to the Lord because of this, because we expect him to be a God who gives us good things. Well, we conclude, man. Uh, the call to discipleship is a call to love your neighbor as yourself. It's, one, it's a call to be listening to his word. And it's a call to pray to our Heavenly Father. Prayer isn't just asking for stuff. That sends me how it begins. But it's communion with our Father. It's talking to our Father. It's learning to recognize who he is and go to him as someone who we depend upon, who we need, who we find our strength in, our comfort in, our security in, our daily needs in. When we pray, it furthers our relationship that we have with them, builds it deeper, builds it stronger. Fathers, and this is, I just let me have some, well, we build strong relationship with our Heavenly Father through communication. And so I just, remind, it just, just, just came to my mind, it's not my notes, but like us earthly fathers, you cannot build a strong relationship with your kid if you're not communicating with them. And so I just spend time talking with them. Communicating with them. Well, may, may your life of prayer. And this is, a, and this is not just individual prayer that we learn. We apply it individual a lot of times. But really, this is, a, this is a corporate prayer, too. This is what we all together as a church pray. It's very humbling when we all we remember. It, it creates unity in the body when we think about it. This is our prayer. Every Christian is to, to pray in these ways. All of us call him Father. All of us depend upon him. All of us are, are taught to continually go to him for our needs. All of us can pray to him, not trusting that God's going to give us that which is good for us. And sometimes what's good for us is not, is, uh, what's good for someone else is not necessarily that which is good for us, right? God knows what each of us differently. He may give us different things. But we all as people, as his people, as his church, can go to him in prayer. Will you trust him? Will you depend upon him? And will you call upon him in prayer? Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for our time and just gleaning over this text on the, uh, the lessons of prayer. 
Father, help us to pray as Jesus taught us. Help us to remember that you are our Father, that we need you, and that we depend upon you like little children to our own fathers. And God, we pray, thank you and praise you that you are a Heavenly Father who, who always gives that which is good, who always knows what is best for us, who always gives us that which we need, not just what we want. So, Father, help cause us through prayer to learn to ask eventually for things that, that you want. And, Lord, even as we pray, you teach us to pray from the very beginning, that we pray that your name be honored, that we pray that your kingdom come, because even in that, even as you are glorified, you are honored, that we know that that, too, is for our best and for our good. And God, thank you so much for how you are a God who cares and just being our Heavenly Father and giving us your Son and giving us your Spirit. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.